right. All right. All right. Uh, this is Jesse. And John. And uh, this is After the Gig. I know there's a bunch of new listeners mm. this week. Um, so, in the last couple of weeks. So, thanks for tuning in. Uh, be sure if you have any questions, comments, or anything, email the podcast at afterthegigpod at gmail.com. If you want to check out the Patreon to support the show, it's www.patreon.com slash after the gig. I feel bunch like of, you can leave out the www at this point. In, yeah, probably. In, <laughs> in the world. Yeah. All right. So after the, or fuck, patreon.com slash after the gig. Boom. See, no one's going to get lost. Nailed that. it. Everyone's doing fine. I hear a ring. I hear a ring too. I think it's the, it's the lights. Oh man, that's crazy. Because we're on the RV. We're on the RV. Right we're in St. Paul. Minnesota. <laughs> John's favorite place. And uh I didn't know I didn't know I disliked it so much until um until we parked and then everyone's trying to kill us with their cars and people yeah. are like literally getting over into the lane that we're yeah. unloading into to try and hit us. There's like three cars coming down this coming down the street, one way street, three lanes. We're in one of the lanes parked. And they're trying to, they're literally getting close to us. They're just trying to, fuck to kill with us. us. They're trying to kill us. So flipping rude. So rude. And then I went to Walgreens and I was like, yo, St. Paul, <laughs> you're falling apart at the seams, <laughs> people. Apart. This is actually, um, compared to when we played Turf Club, this is actually like halfway decent. The club itself? No, I like this club. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Cool. You like the, just the area, the, everything, uh, the whole thing, the area. Well, yeah. What's the name of this club, Doug? What's the name of the club? Amsterdam Bar and Hall. It's called Amsterdam Bar and Hall, and that's where we're playing tonight. Actually, in an hour and a half. Um, so we're getting this together. Figure we'll answer some questions. Mm. <clears throat> John, have you had, did you have a good couple of days off? <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> It's funny how two days off can make you more tired than well, you were it wasn't after the 14 days, shows in the it show. It wasn't the days off that made me tired. It was the not sleeping mm. on our days off that mm-hmm. made me very tired. And yeah. I hate everybody right now. Yeah. Well, you got up and you exercised. You're did stick, I crush my workout? Did you see me over there? I did. You're crushing it, man. I crushed proud, it. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Um, okay. So... Have a question from Katie Musselman. Hi, Katie. Hi, Katie. Um, I realized today while listening after the gig that you haven't. Oh, uh, no, I'll leave that part out. Um, <laughs> beyond music, what other creative outlets do you enjoy? Um, and there's a second part. What is one surprising perk of being a touring musician? What is one surprising drawback? Okay, so creative outlets. I mean, Go anybody ahead. that's listened to this knows mine. Yeah, like jujitsu, boxing, boxing, and I would I would count that in in the creative sure lane. For it sure. definitely is. I mean, it's the same approach t- to fighting. Yeah, how we get your brain is. your brain going. Yeah, it's all it's all technique and stuff like that. Yeah, mine. Um, I don't know. I like to just play other instruments. Like I. I really into guitar right now uh i've been in 
into guitar for a while, but I like to do that. And I like to write in my spare time. And um, I like eating cookies. Eating cookies as well, which we did before we started. We were very nice, and we didn't eat while we were talking. <laughs> um, but also sports. I'm I'm a huge sports guy. Really love sports. Love baseball. Kind of pissed that the Red Sox aren't in the playoffs this year. Um, Red Sox is that basketball? It's sports ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not in it. But yeah, that that's kind of the thing. I guess it would be for us since we're touring musicians. Since we're musicians that we have a creative job already, it's like completely opposite. It's all it's all like other stuff that we're into. Yeah. Um, one surprising perk of being a touring musician uh, and a surprising drawback. Well, I can... The drawback... I mean, the the perk is just like... You get to, and not all musicians like touring. Actually, very few like touring that I know, at least. I know tons of musicians who are like, tour is a four-letter word as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Because it's really tough. I mean, it's like, you know, the, the, the emotional just like roller coaster that tour is is insane and just yeah. like i like i said on the last podcast i was like who does it who does it who goes as hard as we do like no very ve- i i can't think of anybody that hits it as hard as we do yeah and it's just like i i mean the most exhausted and you're like i'm the most tired person ever right now yeah and i have to stay up until seven in the morning driving everyone you yeah. know it's just like it's and you crazy don't, and you don't realize how off the rails you are until it catches up with you yeah until until you get home and people are like you look terrible you look terrible <laughs> seriously that's what people tell me all the time when i go home they're like you look normally you look young for your age and right now you look old for your age yeah yeah i mean i don't know a draw, like, a thing that's surprisingly good is I really like talking to different people and, like, seeing different mm-hmm. people throughout the country. I think that's pretty cool. Hey, Terry. And um, the drawback is just all, like, the lack of sleep and then, you know, just every day constant. And then when you slow down, like, having two days off, mm-hmm. it was cool. Wasn't super restful couple days off yeah but then like one one was a full drive day and the other one had a handful of work yeah but just like sitting there in in bed like even when you're in bed just not really being able to sleep Mm -hmm. just because i don't know you just have 14 days of of craziness last night jesse and i had a tossing and turning off yeah up until like five in the morning yeah I think, oh, I think John won. I I'm, I fell asleep first, apparently, which I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's the funny thing about falling asleep. <laughs> don't really remember. Don't really remember it. There was one time when there was no noise. I knew for a fact that you were awake, and you knew that I was awake, and then I farted. <laughs> and I and I, <laughs> and I went, good one, and you, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. That was funny. Um, I don't know. Did we answer that question? Um, the one, the like, the there's nothing better than being able to do um, for a living what you sort of were put here to do. Yeah, that's that's that is the one thing that is just the you know e- even though it's you know has has a lot of a lot of negative. 
parts of it kind of there's nothing like there's always that like at least i'm doing what i like doing you yeah. know um i i i will say oh here comes the ice here comes the ice whoa yeah gotta keep the bud lights cold that was, that was good um i will say the the thing that i noticed just in life um, that is the the biggest downside of this is um, just the the how how not normal it is. Mm -hmm. I find that people will give you um, two chances to like hang out or go on a date or whatever it is. People will normally be like, oh, you know, me and the boys are going out going out for burgers. Let's call John, and I'm like, they're like, hey, we're going out for for burgers. And the first time I'm like, guys, sorry, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm on tour right now. And then they ask again, one more time, They're like, yeah. going out for burgers and they, they <laughs> sorry, it's six 30. You don't need to whisper. Will you guys be early for the meet and greet? Potentially? Oh boy. Okay. So, sure. If we can, we could go early if you guys aren't going to be ready. I'll be ready. We'll be ready. Seven. This is just an intro. Not, not at so. 6.30, though. That's like, crazy. Yeah, like it's, a, it's out of control. Sure. 6.50 doable? Yeah. Yep. Totally. I'm just going to take a shower, and I'll be in. I'll let the dudes know. Cool. Doable. Yep. Can do. Can do attitude. Um, so we're out here on the road. Terry's just bossing us around. <laughs> <laughs> Terry's about to, Terry's uh, about to get killed by the aforementioned um, St. Paul driver. St. Paul drivers getting out of the RV none here. Of none of them are saints. <laughs> he said. He said none of them are saints, and none of and them, none them are, are named, named Paul. Um, but what I was saying was, your friends will ask you twice. I, I find until they're just like, I'm not asking John to do it. It's not malicious, but it's just like, yeah, we're not going to ask him to do anything anymore because he's probably not around. You know, oh, what dude, I, mean? I get that all the time. Totally. All the time. Nobody, nobody calls me when I'm home because I'll be away. Like just, I mean, exactly like you just said, they'll give you a couple chances and then that's it. And then you're stuck having to like call and like make all this effort when you get back. And, and yeah, you know, and that and is, that is, Definitely, that's a good answer. Surprising yeah. drawback. Fr friendships, friendships fall apart very easily, mm -hmm. um, and and relationships. I mean, you're married, but I mean, I'm I'm divorced. My girlfriend of ten <clears throat> years just left me. You know, it's like yeah, it's like it's 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 a it's you know, at some point you you put to be able to do this, you put doing this first. Yeah, you know, this comes first in a lot of ways, yeah. and it's that's hard for a lot of people, whether it's a just friendships or or romantic relationships or whatever. So yeah, and I was just about to mention mention having family at home. That's hard because you you're in this kind of like fantasy world. You're traveling around like your your real life back home is going on, and there's things popping up. There's bills that need to be paid. There's mm -hmm. you know. Um, you know, my wife has been commuting from Providence has been having like a tough, a tough time with the commute. And there's my no, wife, there's my wife, <laughs> and there's nothing I can do about it. And it's, it's a bummer. I feel like, you know, I, I feel helpless. Like I can't do anything and it sucks. And yeah. that, and then that like festers in my mind. So that's like, 
one of those things that you don't really think about before you leave, but when you're a couple weeks in and then things start popping up and then there's issues and there's problems, then, then it's like, oh man, <laughs> like this is crazy. You know, you end up sitting in bed on a day off, just all these thoughts going through your head and, and you can't fall asleep. So yeah. those are the tough parts. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a good, uh, that was a good answer. That was a good. That was a good question. My, your answer, not mine. Mine was fine. I was no, okay. no, no. Don't talk. Don't talk down on yourself like that. Your answer was fantastic. Um. So another question. I think. Uh, in the Carbon Leaf podcast, when you were all at the beach house, I think you and Barry touched on the idea of image control. How has image control evolved as social media has become more and more permanent, and therefore? You have less control over your image because people can post whatever pictures, videos, opinions that they want. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, it's a, it's you can do the best you can. There's no right or wrong way. There's people that are really good at it. There's people that aren't so good at it. Like we're you know. all, we're also like a mom and pop band, so yeah. we're just like. You know, people want to come and take pictures, come and take pictures. People want yeah. to send us emails, send us emails. People want to whatever. It's like, go ahead. The you best know? way that we can control that is have control of our show and what we do on stage. Other than that, I mean, there's really no inside access other than, you know, you can email into the show or or ask a question or or whatever, you know. There's not really... I don't know. That's that's a there's, interesting there's, question. There's something weird about d- being, and I get it less just being, you know, the bass player of the band. But there's something weird about being someone that people see but don't know. Yeah, and I, yeah, I I uh, a long time ago, uh, uh, when I was in college, um, there was a class at my college. It was like the history of comic books or something like that. And this guy wrote a, uh, wrote, um, it's almost like an encyclopedia in comic book form of the history of comic books. It was Hmm. kind of of fascinating. Mm -hmm. But one thing that he said, and he animated it, um, as himself. So it was like himself as a comic book character. And he said, well, the reason people like comic books or one of the reasons people like comic books so much is because you have this picture. It's not a, it's not a picture. It's a little cartoon Hmm. and you purposefully leave out tons of details in, in the cartoon itself so that, uh, people can read and say this happened, this happened, and they look at the pictures. They people will naturally, in their own minds, fill fill in. Whoa, there goes my phone. People will fill in, um, sort of their own their own shit right. into those spaces. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. So I think that happens with with being a musician um, in a band that people like. People will literally look at you on stage and they'll go, "Okay, I don't, you know, I'm I, I'm only getting, you know, one percent of of this person's personality. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to fill, fill in, in all that stuff. Yeah. I literally, I'm not even kidding you. I get emails from people. I get, um, you know, I ta- have conversations with people, and people will one uh, will do things like. Uh, you know, tell me what kind of person Barry Privet is, or tell me what kind of person Carter is, mm-hmm. or they will like 
like tell me like like I don't know yeah or and they'll be way off most of the time yeah or, or they'll just like be like oh yeah you know like oh it must be so crazy just being on the road with Barry he just must be like you know just be like so nuts all the time and I'm like dude he's the most business all business all the time person you've yeah. ever met like you're way yeah, off way you off know? yeah well even even uh, like bands that I grew up listening to and liking you know you have this fantasy of either wanting to like as a musician wanting to be up on stage and performing with them mm -hmm. or wanting to like hang with them and you kind of come up with an idea of what they're like and 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 you know the, and it's the coolest versions of them mm -hmm. and hopefully hopefully you're it's true <laughs> but you know in that you know, we come to find out as we get older and the more people we meet, the more we travel, it's not always the case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. I don't think you can really control, you can control as best as you can or people, put out there whatever you people want. People are going to, people are going to take whatever, what you say and they're going to interpret it however they want. They're going to take yeah. what you, what you put out into the world and they're going to interpret it how you want. So exactly. the best thing you do, especially for us, we're not Garth Brooks, you know, it's just like, speak for yourself. You know, <laughs> people are just, you know, you do what you do and people are just going to, people are going to yeah. make their own stuff out of it. So yeah. why worry about it? Yeah. You just try to do a good job. It's really all all it is. Doug, be careful. Careful, Dougie. There's lots of cars out there, and they're all mad. Do you die? <laughs> <laughs> all right, I gotta take a shower before yep. this meet and greet. This is perfect. So, so on the podcast today, I have my good friend Joe Bentley. Joe Bentley is in upright basis why what's that smile on your face i was gonna make some stupid car joke like i don't know call him joe like bentley car or something like that um so joe Who does he play for he is a uh he's a professor at uri and he went to the royal conservatory in london for upright bass and he's played in oh he's probably way better than me all kinds of um of uh, uh like symphonies and, all, and and stuff like that but we've been friends for a long time he well, played. i'm gonna have to kill him and take his powers yep yeah there can only he's be really one. he's big and he's strong he, go, he works out just as much as you doesn't know how to fight per, I, I don't think so the gauntlet is thrown <laughs> <laughs> joe watch out <laughs> um no on the show is joe bentley uh we've known each other for a very very long time he's a great guy and he has a lot of interesting stuff to say about the classical side of things and what it's like and what it takes to be a professional classical uh, musician. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with my friend, Joe Bentley. Must be sweet to be a college professor, upright bass player. I think it's professor. like associate professor, Oh, you know, kind of like pr professors at Berkeley, how they're all associate professors. Yeah. You're not like, I, I bet you if the money's good, that's a dope gig. It's probably a pretty sweet gig. Cool. But I know he teaches at like, you, Port, Portsmouth Abbey and uh, a few other places in Rhode Island. But um, yeah, fellow Rhode Islander Joe Bentley, enjoy the conversation. Thanks, John. Thank you, Jesse. I love you. Bye. See you next week. Well, that's interesting. You don't look like someone that uses 
hair growth products thank you <laughs> i appreciate it. that means it's working don't they have um is there like medical side effects to those things uh only so the ones that work really well like i think it's propecia uh that's a pill propecia is the one i think i'm thinking of yeah that has medical side effects because it like alters your body hormones to make you more grow more hair oh and i was reading about the side effects and like some of the side effects are, are they're messed up like you can yeah, get like, like loss of sex drive and stuff like, like gynecomastia like you can grow what boobs it? like Whoa. like yeah you literally grow breasts like in some cases you can have like Ah, oh, like like depression, anxiety. It's crazy. It was like I was reading the side effects, and I was like, "Why would anybody take this?" Yeah, that <laughs> like, sounds terrible. Yeah, no, it, it was it was kind of miserable. So nioxin, it doesn't work. It's not quite as like aggressive. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time. It does work, but you have to stick with it for like, if you really want like that full head of hair, it's going to take like a solid twelve months. But the good thing is that it's kind of naturally slowly regrowing. Whereas from what I've heard with like Rogaine and Propecia, apparently as soon as you stop taking it, like your hair, the, all the hair that you grew just falls out and just falls goes back away. out yeah so it's like it's like you know at least i, th- I think with nioxin like the hair even if you stop using it it'll stay around for longer because it's naturally like waking up the hair follicles or something like that or at least that's the way tom's explained it to me so if i lose my hair i i'm just gonna be a guy with no hair just be a bald dude i'm just gonna be a bald guy just do it you gotta do the comb over uh no i mean my hair is so thick i think i'm i think i'm in the clear yeah um but I mean, it'll go back. It'll just keep receding little by little, and my forehead will get bigger and The high bigger. school fro. The high school fro, <laughs> which, I'm, which I kind of have right yeah, now. I know. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've let my hair go a little bit, but I'm going to get it cut either today or tomorrow. Yeah. Hopefully. But Do you have a guy down here? I don't. I... Uh, I will be going to my guy in Boston. Okay. So... Because if you need a guy down here, I got a guy down here. You got a guy? John um, John Richard Salon brand streaker. Okay. He's one of my brother's friends. He does like he does all this. He does like the hard part. I need I need a haircut, so it looks a little messy right now. But oh, he does a really good, really really. You always haircut. have very well like clean cut haircut, dude. That's the Baptist. Seriously, like have you ever like seen Baptist preachers? Perfect hair. <laughs> perfect. All of them have perfect hair. There was this one guy, uh, Wendell Calder, and he was just like, um, like he was like a mannequin. He had like white, like beautiful, thick white hair, like this like perfect part. Every single day I saw him like down the side. It was just like, man, just like these guys, these Baptists, they know how to do these neat haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about someone that has like really white hair like perfect white hair oh yeah it's such a cool look yeah right and so few people have it like a thick head of white hair thick head of white it's hair. like i i hope i can be that old dude but i'm just gonna be like a weird bald dude with a funny shaped head i'm just yeah, i'm just gonna be straggly curly grayish weird hair I'm like it's just it's gonna it's gonna go bad pretty quick for dude, me <laughs> katie is like katie's big thing with me is she's like joe you'd better never go bald because i know the shape of your head I, i've got like the you point you have a weird shaped head oh dude you turn, don't- turn turn I mean, it just looks like a normal head. Oh, that's that's because the hairstyle. That's why. Because that's why I do the hair this. Because the hair shapes the shapes. hair. Because I've got a point at the top, so I flatten it out and I kind of raise it up front, so it okay. makes the point less pronounced. Dude, I got <laughs> moles all over my head. So does everybody. It's like, man. oh, dude, it's it's it's. An, I got an ugly dome. <laughs> <laughs> I have a weird shaped head because, like, if I if if 
like my head obviously goes around on the top and then <laughs> it's just fucking flat like <laughs> completely flat in the like back. a wrestler's head <laughs> yeah <laughs> it just looks like like i fell on the ground like a bunch of times in a row and it flattened out the back of my head um so joe so jesse one of my oldest friends yes um it's 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 kind of funny that eric hansen's uh podcast just came out and now you're here in providence you are the first interview in my new apartment in providence yes breaking the ice it's pretty good what do you think so far uh the apartment i really like it uh, we've got some beautiful exposed brick exposed brick a little yep. bit of a hipster vibe here it's kind of cool yep. there's a All cable uh that is not doesn't that's gonna bother me that, that coax cable <laughs> it's not managed it's not managed <laughs> properly nope and it needs to be hidden but uh, we, we got some nice granite counter granite is that granite countertops we got stainless steel appliances marble. Marble, marble, marble is it yeah, marble? marble jesse you fancy bastard i mean i didn't buy it <laughs> <laughs> but no I, I think i think the apartment looks great like i love to put nice hardwood floors and everything it's like a classic old providence house that's mm-hmm. been redone with all new 1877 drywall. really was when this house was built wow 1877 yeah that's one of the cool things about providence is like all the most of the houses around here have little plaques on them and it says who designed it and what year it was built yeah all the historic houses they're all in the 1800s danny amendola used to live in one from the patriots really yeah he lived in one on benefit street he literally like yeah he lived in while um, he was playing for the patriots while he was playing for the patriots because foxborough is like really only 35 40 minutes from here yeah so he lived like there was a house on benefit street i had friends who saw him at like coffee shops and stuff around providence and well that makes sense because olivia culpo his his girlfriend or ex i don't even know i don't know if they're still together but she was from cranston her mother olivia culpo susan culpo is a violist i play with her Really? Yeah, she's. I've played with her at Wheaton College. I've played with her at. Um, oh, where else have I? I've played with her at a bunch of places. Olivia also plays cello, I think, or violin or something. I think so. I've seen them on Instagram, like performing together and stuff. Yeah. Crazy man. Yeah, crazy world. Lots of smells. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm watching through the office. That's where that came from. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> what uh you're you're a classical classical upright bassist or yes. double double bassist a classical double bassist yes what so in high school let's let's give a little context you were all about electric bass slap bass les claypool um you know just like stuff like that mm-hmm. and what made you take the turn and the deep dive into classical music. So maybe take us through like your mentality and what you enjoyed about, you know, when you first started playing bass, cause you started playing late. Yeah, I started Very playing. Late. I started, uh, you know, I couldn't read music. I taught myself bass guitar at the at, like the age of 13 is when I started playing bass guitar. And I sat down and I listened to uh, Green Day and Rage Against the Machines' first album. That was, that was my big one, I was listening through Rage Against the Machines' self-titled album. And I, I remember the first summer I played bass, I just played through that album over and over and over again. Because it was just like, I couldn't get enough of it. And I still can't. It's like, it's uh, to me, it's like one of the perfect albums that's ever been made. Um, so I started off there. So um, you haven't lost your your love for like 
No, dude, I, I listen to heavier stuff now than I ever used to. I listen yeah. to, I mean, for me, it's been, it's been, I listen to a weird mix. So it's been a lot of Meshuga, a lot of like heavy, heavy, heavy really? stuff. Dude, I love Meshuga now. And Corey Wong and Wolfpack. Dude, that's great. <laughs> it's like, it's so, it's so joyful, his mm-hmm. music, you know? So the, um, so I started off as like the self-taught bass guitarist and I, you know, I went through high school and I never really had an interest in learning to read music because I was all like, you know, I kind of wanted to do my own thing. Well, you weren't in band or anything. No, I, I, because honestly, reading music scared me. Yeah. It really did. I was afraid of reading music. I was afraid of jazz band because I was afraid of jazz. I was afraid of like all these other things that I couldn't do because I had my little bubble. And also I felt like, Hey, I'm pretty good at what I do. You Mm -hmm. know, I don't want to do something I'm not good at. So I go through high school and, you know, I'm just slapping the bass and doing bass solos and playing like way too much all over the place and just like, just like shredding at every possible opportunity, which is like the bass player. It's like, oh my God, you give me a scarlet letter for that, you know, <laughs> as a bass player. So I, I and it's, it's funny because the, and before I go into where the change came from, uh, one of the things that like my, uh, my, my journey, I suppose, as a classical musician taught me about myself was the things that I really enjoy uh, about music or about making music. Um, the precision has kind of a lot to do with it, really getting it right. And that's not so not so much a, a musical thing for me as it is just like a general thing for me, like it, it, with home improvements. You know, I don't like to mm-hmm. do a project in my house that I can't do really right. Right, you right. Know, like I don't like cludging things. Yeah. You know, I don't like just, I'd rather take my time and do it, even if it takes like too long and Katie's kind of mad at me. Sorry, Katie, if you're listening, I'll get the basement done eventually. Uh, <laughs> this decade. Yeah, right. Sometime, hopefully this decade. But I'd rather really, you know, I'd rather take my time with it and, you know, and make sure that when I look at it, it's done right or at least to the best of my possible ability, you yeah. know, and, and not clutch it. So I kind of discovered that about myself um, through the process of learning classical music. And also uh, the thing that I like about practicing in a classical context is and this is a, a good parallel for um, the way I used to play was it's all about technique. Yeah. It's all about refining your technique. Mm-hmm. So you're looking in the mirror, you're taking videos of yourself, you're recording yourself and you are analyzing every little thing about your playing, um, your hand structure on your left hand, the posture of your left elbow, exactly how you're holding your hips while you sit on your seat, uh, where you put your legs in relation to your base. You know, mm-hmm. the bow grip is a whole new, I mean, once I started really learning how to use the bow, it's like this world of technique. It's, and it's just like this really, um, microscopic view into how you approach your instrument and it's so thorough and it's so detailed and that's the thing that I eat up and the very little thing I know about classical technique on an upright bass <laughs> which is next to nothing <laughs> yeah. um, there's the German grip and the French grip. Are there yep. other different ways? Are there hybrids? Uh, there, there are hybrids. There, there's uh, one guy that I know, a South African guy named Ruan, ba- Ruan Bartman, who is just a phenomenal bass player. If you, if like, if you can find him on Instagram, he, he doesn't post a ton of his playing on Instagram, but uh, he's just man. Where's, where's he? Where's he from? Uh, he's he's from. I don't want to get the city wrong, but I know he's from one of the bigger cities in, in South Africa. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm going to guess Johannesburg, but I'm not, I can't, I yeah. can't be sure. But he, he grew up in South Africa and I met him in London and he used a hybrid grip where it was, um, the bow itself was a hybrid bow. So it was halfway between a French bow and a German bow, but he held it like a German bow. Hmm. And that allowed him, because the 
the frog and we're getting a little technical here but the the frog like the ebony part on a bow for a german bow is really wide mm-hmm. and the frog on a french bow is very narrow so is is it so is the difference the actual bow or the way that you hold the bow? Both. It's both. Yeah, it's both. So the German bow, because the frog is wide enough, the frog actually fits into, or the heel of the bow, uh, fits into the palm of your hand. So you mm. can hold it underhanded. Uh, the French bow, uh, that you hold it basically just like a violin. It's mm-hmm. ju- it looks just like a violin bow. You hold it overhand just like a violin bow. And uh, the only difference is that violinists, they put their pinky on their pinky on the right hand on the, on the end of the bow, whereas bassists usually don't because mm. you need a little bit more power. When you're Interesting. So yeah, the um, the thing that I appreciated in, in hindsight was this really microscopic attention to detail, and I've discovered my, about myself that I like to do that with everything that I do. Um, was that always even even in even in high school? Because I mean. I have a specific memory of us in like the lunchroom in yep. high school, and you were explaining like offensive blocking to me when you were playing football and just the way that you did it i was like oh i can get by and i'm you know i consider myself or i used to consider myself a pretty athletic dude Mm -hmm. and i just like tried to get by you and the way that you were doing was like no no it was just like very very technical and very much like you know um there was no way I was getting by you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, man, I, 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 it's funny. I look back on it and me explaining anything about football is a goddamn laugh. Cause like, <laughs> no, but the way, the, the, what I mean is like the way that you approached it was from this, like, this is what I have learned. This is what I know. And I am using that exact method that i have learned and i'm going to try to perfect this and do it right yeah that is true that is true and that's that's it's funny because i didn't think about myself like that in high school i didn't think like i'm a method guy or i didn't think like of myself as an attention to detail type of person yeah really until later on in my life and that's when i realized like oh i I really enjoy this i enjoy getting things right i just i didn't get it which is why i wasn't a good student because i didn't i i didn't get it yeah, that's what I liked. Right. And once once it clicked for me, like, oh, attention to detail, getting things right. This is satisfying. Mm-hmm. You know, this is something that this is I enjoy this mm-hmm. process. Um, then I became a really good student. And then I started, you know, making gains in my playing and everything. But so that's that's some of the things that I found out about myself in the process. But that's not where the change came from. So the changeover from like my my rock and roll roots to being a professional classical musician. Well, even before um, even before that, like when, when like after high school, how how much were you playing in bands? I remember you you, you and I were in a band. Yeah. And yeah. then which wasn't super serious, but then you played you played in that band Vega. So I never told you the story about what happened with Vega, did I? About like how I ended up not being in the band anymore? You know, I feel like you may have alluded to it at one point, but I feel like it had something to do with, with some morality to it. Or Oh, yeah, yeah. that was big. So when I, I was in Vega and we were partying and it was, you know, the lead singer, Nate, was just, uh, he was he was awesome. He was a great friend, a really, really good person. But, he, you know, and he was a party animal. He loved to party. Well, you guys were like, what, 19? Yeah, 18, 18 19. I don't even know if we were if we were 20 yet. Um, and Nate is now like a model in New York city. That dude is like killing. He's like absolutely shredded. He's like, he lo- I think he models for like Abercrombie or something. Really? Like that. Yeah. He's really, he's like one of those dudes. Wow. Um, 
And when I met him, it's funny, he was in the process of like packing on muscle to become one of those dudes. So we were, um, excuse me, we were partying and, you know, we were, we were drinking, of course, underage, you know, whatever you, you do it sometimes. And all the time. That's when around that time I had met my ex-girlfriend who brought me to a Baptist church. Okay. So in, I went to this Baptist church and I became really, um, I became really involved with this church and I was, I was born again. You know, I raised my hand, I got saved. I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior, everything, whole nine yards. Um, and I was still playing in the band at this time. And I specifically remember, uh, the pastor's wife having a conversation with me because we were about to go on tour. Mm-hmm. And we were about to drive. We had like bought a van and everything. We were about to um, go around, you know, the eastern side of the country, um, and I think all the way out to somewhere in the Midwest. Like it's been a while. I can't remember. But I remember as I was telling my pastor and my pastor's wife about this, I specifically remember my pastor's wife saying to me, "Joe, what do you think the children would think of their Sunday school teacher playing with a rock band?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, and that—that's how she said it. And it was like, so it was this tinge of disappointment. Like, you know, right. this is this is the devil's music. This is not right. You know, this is that, or at least that's how it was presented to me. Was this style of music is um, is somehow illegitimate because it's worldly. That's really what it was all about. Yeah. So I was convinced at that time, and again, this is my sort of, in hindsight, my attention to detail and wanting to do things right. With that, when right, I doing wanting to do things right and according to what she is telling you, wanting to wanting to do things correctly. Okay, you know, to the to the T. Would uh, you would you say that's how you feel about that kind of music now? Uh, no, 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 absolutely yeah. not. I've t- like that was, um, it, and I never really truly bought it. That, that right. you know, because it, it is a lie that like, you know, rock and roll is the devil's music. Come on. Like what? Like, do you know the sordid things that classical musicians have done? Jesus. Like there's yeah. Yeah, there's some dudes. Yeah, so, we're all human. We're all human. We're all imperfect. And, and you know, if. Yeah, I mean, I, I if someone were to say that to me, and I'm not saying that it's I'm not saying that these people are bad people or anything, but I would just be like, why? Like what? What? You know why? See, and this is this is the thing, and it's like you know. I know this is obviously not a, not a religion podcast, but it's it's part of the story here. Um, and this is this is the thing about uh, you know being born again and being an evangelical Christian is that it really is a complete rejection of the world and anything that resembles the world, okay. specifically in like American the American evangelical movement. So, you know, back to the back to the, the the band and everything before I start talking about things that you know are above my pay grade. Um, I was convinced at that time because of my relationship with the church and how much I was doing uh, at the church you know, really, really quickly, which is kind of a strategy that evangelicals have is they get you saved and then they get you doing as much as possible to kind of get you in the fold. Mm -hmm. So I was doing a ton of work at the church Mm -hmm. and I became convinced that if I went on tour, I would be disappointing my church. I'd be disappointing my, my kids in Sunday school. So I, my next band practice, I, and I was conflicted. I literally, I I was in tears at my band practice because I was like, I have to quit. I'm sorry. You know, I, I can't do this anymore. What did they have to say about it? Um, they, I think they were probably taken aback at, at confused. They, or, were, they didn't get it. Yeah, yeah. They didn't quite under understand. Well, it's Not, a hard thing. It's a hard thing to get. Oh yeah. And, it's, and I don't say that like, Oh, they didn't get it. Like, you know, it's their fault. I say like, they, you know, who would understand that decision? Yeah. You know, who would and, like realistically? So 
I, um, you know, I, I left the band and they were, you know, justifiably upset with me because we didn't have that much time to train a replacement. Um, and we, we, they, they found a replacement and they ended up going on tour and, and being successful. But at that time, the reason why this took me into classical music is because there was this view within the church that like, you, you know, rock and roll is evil. Hip hop is evil. Anything that sounds like the world is, is, you know, basically, you know, of the devil because it's of the world. But classical music, that is pure, you know, classical music, that is, you know, that that's somehow better morally, which is like, I, I mean, I never, again, that's one of those things I never really kind of swallowed, but I was like, all right. It's like all of these things were created after, like, you know, Jesus never said anything about, right. about, you know, there's no right, Holly. There's no right style of music. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's, it's just, it's just an expression of human kind of human culture and experience yeah and, and you know the, the whole the idea of putting a moral bent on what style of music is better than another that is the that like I, it's one of those things where wow what a change because now it's like i can't imagine mm-hmm. saying that that one style of music is better and luckily when i was in the church i was able to kind of convince them they didn't even allow electric instruments wow like at first i couldn't bring my bass guitar in until wow. you know what i did i went in and i convinced the pastor to let me play victor wooten's amazing grace <laughs> in church so i did that i played amazing grace in church and they were like oh this instrument's fine now right yeah, yeah. so i kind of had to do a little bit of convincing to let them be like all right guys you know electric instruments aren't bad yeah so um, it's like you guys are using electricity in here Right. It's like, what's, this what's thing it? just has strings on it. Yeah. It's just, so <laughs> it, it, that was just a really kind of, and yeah, it, it was really in hindsight, kind of a, a strange way to get to where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the, you know, there were, there were some, some good things about the whole evangelical Christianity in my, in my conversion was that, uh, you, you know, when you're an evangelical, it's really a lot about self-discipline. It's about that Protestant work ethic. Like, you know, if something doesn't happen, it's because you haven't worked hard enough. So yeah. when, I, when I picked up my bass, I would just practice and practice and practice and practice because I was convinced that was like the right thing to do, the moral thing to do. Yeah. Um, so, I remember, I like, I specifically remember you go, kind of going through this thing mm-hmm. and we might have like lost touch a little bit through that time. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. And then I, w- would you say that happened with a lot of people you knew oh yeah and it was it was in in part due to the church and the teachings that you know you should reject the world a lot of it had to do with my Mm ex-girlfriend because you know when i became a christian and i started you know and i started really kind of getting into the fold she would tell me things like you know you shouldn't hang out with with your old friends anymore because Mm -hmm. you're a new person Mm -hmm. you know uh you shouldn't hang out with your brother anymore because you know he's not the kind of person that a christian should be hanging out with damn um you know you shouldn't hang out with your old bandmates and it was it was that said that that's some things about the relationship that were you know i mean that were obviously obviously unhealthy you know right right um so a lot of but it as a bad as like an 18 19 year old kid you know you would be susceptible or go into this thing or you're looking for you're searching for something that you belong to or that you want you know i can un- i can understand not i feel like coaxed is the wrong word but it's a little bit of coercion yeah i yeah, can there's I, a little I bit can of understand spir- spiritual being coercion yeah coerced into into living that life and doing that kind of thing and and how it would seem it would it how it would be uh what's the word i'm looking for i don't know attractive yeah yeah well because there's uh you, you know some of the some of the kindest and sweetest people and best people i've ever met have been in this church of course you know, they're yeah. great people yeah 
and you know, th- and that's that's the attractive part is like there's this great community of of wonderful, nice people. But in order to get in, you have to give up everything, or at least right. that's what I thought. You right. know, that that's what I was convinced. And I think my my ex girlfriend had a lot to do with the, the convincing. But you know, I, at the time, I I bought it. You know, I, I really did. I subscribed to it. So. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, kind of hook, line, and sinker, and I started, uh, you know, not no longer having contact with my friends. So that included you, mm-hmm. that included my my own brother, not hanging out with my brother anymore, um, not spending too much time at family parties because there was alcohol there. You can't be around alcohol, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, how long? How long would you say this all went on for? This. Like how many years? Ah, uh, boy, how many years was it? So I want to say. My real, like, fervent, zealous belief was probably about four or five years, mm. I'd say. Um, so me in... That's a long time. Yeah, it was. And eventually I started to... Find, so what happened was, me, you know, I had the, the relationship with the ex, and that was bad, and that exploded, and that was, you know, that ended kind of really... It was, it was really ugly, and she left the church and I stayed. And through that, I kind of... And this is where it starts to turn around. She left the church and you stayed. I stayed and she, she Interesting. left because there, there were, you know, she, she made some mistakes that were really, you know, kind of, kind of not so great. Mm-hmm. And I think she, you know, she, she didn't really feel comfortable being there okay. anymore, you know, and you know, that's the people, people make, I made mistakes in that relationship. Of course. So, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, so she, uh, she, so she left, I stayed because I was working in the church and I, re- I really felt strongly about, you know, I, I had accepted it fully. So I was, you know, really in love. This with, was the place that you belonged. Yeah. I was really. And at that point, you know, be, beyond all the spiritual coercion, I really was in love at that point, really was truly in love with Jesus Christ and truly in love with, you know, the structure of the church and doing something great that would be pleasing to God. That's mm. what I was really in love with. So this, this relationship breaks up and then I stay in the church and I'm still playing and I'm still making music. And, you know, at that point, my religious stuff starts to change a little bit because mm-hmm. now it's becoming okay less about what box do you need to fit in more about what's your own what are your own beliefs what's your own relationship yeah with jesus or with the church or whatever so eventually i'm ironing that out and then i meet katie you know my now wife and you know she is like <laughs> i don't know how well you know katie but she's like her <laughs> she's so funny thing is i don't I, i've only i think i've only hung out or with with katie maybe once or twice may, maybe three times because mm-hmm. i i came to your house when we were playing when you um when ryan you and i yep. were 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 doing that gig and saw katie you know she seems seems like such a sweet girl such oh, a nice girl she's a sweetheart but there's <laughs> <laughs> a big but her little and this is like i i, I say that jokingly because she's like um she was the bad influence on all of her awesome. friends in high school. Yeah. And she tells she this is she would say this. She's See, this is who this. you belong with. Right. You exactly. need the bad influence. I needed it. So. I'm the bad influence. <laughs> She's bad influence. That's right. Because, you know, and, and she and you know, I kind of jokingly say that because Katie's whole thing is, you know, just you, you need to accept who you are. You know, she's a yeah. clinical therapist. So it's right. like, you know, in hindsight, that's what like she makes a great therapist because she's really good at getting people to just kind of accept who they are do you guys still have that fake bunny uh we have a real bunny i know you have a real bunny but i remember 
Sorry to totally derail. (laughs) Wasn't there like a fake bunny, like a therapy bunny? Oh, that was a... So we had a therapy cat. (laughs) We had a therapy... So this was actually... fake cat? This was an animatronic goddamn cat. (laughs) That would like like meow when you scratched it and that would like kind of half roll over and would... It was like a Furby. Okay. like I will like, never forget that thing, dude. It was it, it freaked was, me out. A little it was bit. like from the depths of hell. It was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, so Katie, yeah, so, so Katie, yeah. Well, you know, and and through meeting her and like getting out of this really kind of unhealthy relationship, I was able to kind of develop, you know, a little bit more sense of myself and who I am and what my relationship is with the church and with Jesus and what are my own you know beliefs and everything about this. And through that, I started to find my own identity as a musician. Okay. Because I, because the one through line through this whole thing was music and playing the bass. Because you yeah. never stopped doing that. Yeah. Now, and what's ever. funny is I, a long time ago, this is back in high school. I remember having the thought that playing the bass is literally the only thing that I really feel called to do. I had the same the same thought about playing drums and and playing music. I I didn't. You know, I have plenty of friends now from high school in particular that are either doctors or successful in the finance industry. Nick Matarisi is is killing it, killing it at Google. And it's like, I got to tell you about that when I met up with him in London, by the way, but go ahead. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I think it's natural to feel some sort of uh, jealousy towards those people or some you know you you're like oh man why can't i yeah success money stability yeah it's that whole it's that whole thing but i can't even and i'm I'm so happy that they found these things and they're successful and and it takes some growing up to do to feel good about those people succeeding yeah and and to and to make it be like oh wow i'm that's congratulations i feel good about it and i'm not jealous yeah it takes yeah, time yeah. it takes it time to do that and it, it's an important lesson to learn yeah but the one thing that is constant is i couldn't do those jobs i yeah. could i couldn't do it i wouldn't be i wouldn't be happy i i you know i wouldn't have the life i have now like it's just i don't i would rather struggle to like make my own thing happen and like invest in myself and and figure out these you know figure out navigate navigating life and stuff like that being a musician then go into something that i i wouldn't enjoy right right i mean i want money and and stuff i like i like fun toys and like everybody like most people do some people don't but doesn't um Mm -hmm. But I just like what I do so much more than than trying to fit into someone else's uh, box or whatever. Yeah, no, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing was a setup. <laughs> that's what she said of the century. <laughs> oh my god, that's good. Yeah, and, and it's. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, and that's that's the the thing about being an about being you know an an, art, an artist of of any type is that you have to be so you have to be so flexible, you know, and you have to be yeah. so willing to, in some cases, make changes to your own life, right? You know, because you don't really get to have a routine, you don't really get to have 
um, you, you know, you don't you don't really get to have a sense of consistency that you might have with one of those really stable office jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, but the trade off is that you get to be part of something great. You get to make art. You get to make music. You know. Yeah, you get to constantly flex your your creative muscles, and you know, I, I've had friends that um, relationships didn't work out because you know one of the two people wanted consistency wanted the other person have a nine to five and it just was not that person's goal and it ruined and wrecked a relationship um yeah and this is one of the things i'm so lucky with with katie is that she is you know we gotta get back we gotta get back to katie we gotta get back to katie uh, that's you know i jump around (laughs) a lot so yeah we got it so one of the great things about katie is that she um she has accepted that uh, you know that I got a weird schedule, you yeah. know, and that I I gotta work like nights and weekends. I can't go to family parties. Like I've had to miss weddings and stuff. I've yep. had to miss you know I've had to miss all sorts of things. And she's a trooper, and she'll go to the stuff alone. And when her family's asking, "Hey, where's Joe?" Like you know she she'll tell him, "Oh, he's working. He's on a gig." You know. Yeah. And that's one of those things that that can be hard for her because she does have an office job. You know, she has a nine to five. So her expectations for her life have a sense of consistency to them. I'm lucky, whereas I found a place where I can be creative and I can make lots and lots of music and mm-hmm. I can do lots of different things and still have a house and still like have a sense, a sort of routine. Right. You know, so it's I'm luckily I feel like I'm in the sweet spot now that like that a lot of it, a lot of it is directly because of Katie. And, you know, when I met her helping you know her helping me find myself you know and yeah. and who i am and all that stuff well finding the balance between the person that you are and the person that you're learning to be or the person that you became when you're in the church and when you're in this you know bad relationship getting out of that thing is hard and yeah. not everybody finds the katie or in my case genevieve who mm-hmm. who will get you out of who will put up with your garbage until oh you <laughs> so much garbage so, that katie has to put up with so much garbage so i had dude a few months ago back in march i played a concerto with an orchestra and poor katie she had to listen to me practice like one then there's this one note it's a high c on the bass mm-hmm. And in order to make a good sound that high on the bass, this is like for any bass players who are listening, that's like, you know, right at the end of the fingerboard and the Bottasini harmonics. Um, sorry, speaking French, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's any classical bass. Get it? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> the Bottasini harmonics, whatever. So, like, so anyway, it's a really high note. In order for it yeah, to... Yeah, you know, Dorian, Mixolydian. Yeah, right. You know, Lydian. There's, there's, some, there's a joke in there about a hurricane being upgraded to a major storm <laughs> and having to become Ionian. But <laughs> but, the, uh, but yeah, so like I'm practicing this and there's this high C. And in order for it to sound good, you have to spend a lot of time playing up there because you just have to get comfortable. Right. I, I I can't tell you how many thousands of times I practiced this high passage with that high C. And Katie is sitting there on the couch like 20 feet away from me. She's like, Joe, can I have my sound-canceling headphones? Yeah. She's just like, listen to me practice. Or it's like, you know, there's a, there's a couple years ago where I was playing Rite of Spring with an orchestra. And I don't know if you know that piece, but like the last movement of it is all mixed meter. So it's all like, you know, five, eight, seven, I eight, personally three, eight, four, don't four. know the piece, but. Oh, dude, it's like, it's the last page. The last page of the last movement is like, it doesn't have the same time signature two bars in a row at all. For like the last, like I want to say hundred or so bars of the piece. It's constantly changing. Man, is so, that just something you have to memorize? 
you can't memorize it. I couldn't because it's too much. Like I had to, you, you, how do you, even, how do you even start? slowly yeah really slow but like i was <laughs> so katie had to listen to me like i'd have the metronome on you know as much as you can with something that's mixed meter and i'd be practicing with it and i'd be like clap 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 shit clap 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 clap, clap, clap. god damn it like, like, and, like swearing. and there have been times where katie like literally recorded me doing that and posted it on instagram because it's like so absurd yeah but that's what she has to deal with she has to deal with me making noise at home and like you know playing the bass at like all ungodly hours which i try not to do yeah um but yeah like i guess i guess back to the to the to the journey you know question of like you know the the, the life story um you know, I meet, I meet Katie. Just don't stop believing, man. Don't stop believing. That's, that's the journey. <laughs> that's what it's about. <laughs> but yeah, so I meet Katie and she kind of, she breaks me out of my shell a little bit. And then it got to a point where, uh, you know, my relationship with the church, and I was a music podcast, I'm talking so much about church, but that's part of it. Yeah. Um, Everybody's experience is different. Right, right. And uh, so I get to a point where I was doing so much with the church. I was singing in the adult choir. I was leading a teen choir. I was playing special instrumentals. This is like bass solos every single week. I was doing prelude. Um, and I was also playing in the praise band. This is five things. And I wasn't getting paid for any of it. Wow. And I was in school full time. And I was working like 30, 35 hours a week. I Jesus, was, Joe. It was too much. It was way too much. So I had eventually I got to a point where I just... I, I quit the church for a little bit. I was so overwhelmed. It's like, I don't even know. I don't know if it was, I wouldn't call it a breakdown because I definitely didn't have like a, it wasn't like a nervous breakdown, but I, my relationship with Katie for a little bit because of all that stress wasn't great. So I met somebody else. I broke up with Katie, started dating somebody else for three months. And you oh, know, I didn't know that. Happened. Yeah. I, 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 I had a, I had like a whole other girlfriend for, for three months. Katie and I were, you know, we're, we're split up, you know, mm-hmm. because our, the relationship wasn't going great because all the stress I was under. And then, uh, you know, that, you know, that, that didn't work out, but I took some time off from the church because it was like, uh, I'm doing too much. I'm doing yeah. way too much. I, I feel like I off. remember that time. Like we might've met up once it was like the first time we had met up in a while and and you were like oh yeah i'm I'm taking a break from from all that or yeah yeah it be and so. that's that's kind of was this while you were in college yes this okay was while so I was in at this point you were in you were in london no this is uh rhode island college this, this is when that. i was undergrad this gotcha. is before yeah okay so i t- so when i was in undergrad i broke up you know me and katie broke up and this is like i want to say 2010 mm-hmm. roundabout um and this is, you know, I kind of started, you know, pulling away from the really hardcore beliefs of the church, you know, and I started kind of accepting, you know, my kind of myself and my own, you know, musical desires, my own artistic desires more so. But at this time, I was also practicing a lot because yeah. I had grad school auditions coming up because I had to make sure it's like, all right, you know, I wanted to be a professional classical musician, but I felt like. I need more training than what I have. So you're working hard as a classical musician, but you're also having like an internal crisis of coming from the church and trying to accept the old, like the music that you were told for so long to not listen to or not accept. Yeah. And I never fully rejected it. 
Okay. I never fully, like deep, deep down, I never yeah. fully thought that like rock and roll was the devil's music. Yeah, I never you really just, thought you that. You would just be sitting in the bathroom and like <laughs> listening to Primus on your headphones. <laughs> like, this is my time for five minutes every morning. <laughs> like getting my fix, you know? It's yeah. Like it's in, like, a, in a dark room at night. Joe, what are you doing in there? Um, I'm taking a dump. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not porn. It's not porn. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so like I, I eventually. I can't like, believe I, it. I walked in on Joe listening to Primus today. Of all things. Dude, I saw them with Mastodon last oh, year. Oh, that must have been incredible. Insane, insane show. I love Wes Claypool. I think he's I think he's uh I wouldn't even I don't even know if he's underrated or overrated, but I, I think he's I think he's incredible. I think I, think I, I am very glad with how rated he is <laughs> I, yeah, well, I think he's just right where he should be yeah people that know him know he's he's the boss <laughs> yeah know? right he's like and he there's the thing is there's nobody like les claypool there's nobody like him. nobody else like nobody him. plays like him nobody looks or sounds like you know it's yeah just, it's just uh he's very unique he, i mean he really is that the ultimate artist because yeah. he, he's full acceptance and expression of himself no matter how yeah. weird that is yeah that's great yeah you know that that's what i think is great so yeah, I'm uh, you know I'm doing all the practicing. I'm having this like crisis of faith. I'm having this crisis of religion, and uh, and I'm trying you know, and I, I end up break up with the other girlfriend, and then uh, you know Katie and I are not quite back together yet. And then I'm doing my grad school auditions, and then I get accepted to the Royal Academy of Music, and that's where I go. I'm I'm yeah. like holy crap, I got Which accepted. Which is a big deal. Yeah, and I the, I auditioned for that school as a laugh. I didn't expect mm-hmm. to get in. I did not. I did not expect. I was like, I'm not good enough for this, but whatever, I'll do it. Um, and same thing with like, uh, you know, I didn't even think of auditioning for Juilliard cause I was like, yeah, nah, come on, man. Like I'm not going to get in there. So like, I, I just didn't even bother. I auditioned for a couple other places, got accepted, got waitlisted a couple other places. Um, but then I got my acceptance for the Royal Academy of Music and I was just like, I was like floored. It was like when I went to wow. base at the beach back in like 2005, yeah, it was like, I had the same room. reaction. I was like freaking out. It was, yeah. It's amazing, man. So I tell Katie, and um, she's not that happy because she knows that means I'm going to be going away. Um, so, is that two years? Yeah, two year master's program. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's a long that's a long time to be away. But you and you didn't even you didn't come home that that much. No, I came home like uh, once every few months. Yeah. I would come home because you know at the at the term breaks, but Katie and I, you know, it's we, expensive and yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, the thing is, I didn't have the money to fly back. It was either Katie or my parents that had to buy my tickets. And this is, yeah, you know, Katie like shelled out a lot of money for me to yeah. like, to fly back and forth. So we, you know, we got back together before I um it, uh, before I left for London, and we did long distance for two years. Wow, and it was uh, it, it was hard. It was it was wow, definitely one of the hardest things. I've done is being in a long distance relationship, you know, while being in a really, really intense school environment, yeah. you know, with just kind of very few outlets. Yeah. I did. Lo- I did long distance with my <laughs> high school girlfriend for like, uh, it, was, it was a couple of years. And, um, you know, then I moved to Boston and it was just very, it's too much. It's too hard. It's at that, at, at a young age, you, you were a little bit, older yeah i was because I, so, I was an idiot and it took me six years to finish undergrad so <laughs> dude i mean you, you do what you gotta do i uh yeah that was hard it was really hard because you're trying to do everything you can you're not really who you are and when yeah, you're that, when you're that young you don't know yet you're an idiot yep and um 
you know, it just wasn't fair. It wasn't fair to either one of us to, to go on doing this thing while, you know, you want to, you want to experience college. You want to go have a good time and not have to worry about anything. Yeah. You feel like you you, you, want to, you know, you want to meet people, you want to see where things will lead and you don't want to feel also tied back to the place that you were before. You don't want to feel like you have to go back. Right. You want to move forward. And not to say that a person I mean, I guess in that situation, a person can hold you back from things, from, from certain experiences and, and, you know, like what if you stayed out later that night and you met, you met like your, the the next, uh, band leader of your next gig or whatever, and you got to hang out and play and something magical happened. And, you know, it's just, it's just, you have to leave yourself open for opportunities at that age for me the like i felt like the only thing that that like being long distance uh prevented me from doing was sleeping around (laughs) yeah because and the the thing with that is like thank god thank god because i got no game man i got none no game (laughs) i got none at all i would i would have dude it would have been a mess if i was dating while i was in grad school like the dude there were people that were in relationships that were like it was so messy because i i think there was a girl who was dating you know one of the other members of her string quartet and like that like when they broke up then the string quartet broke up and you know at this man that that stuff can get can get really stressful but the good thing what it allowed me to do is because i wasn't thinking about dating i was like i'm just gonna practice yeah yeah i'm just gonna work and and speaking of practice we're talking about practice um you practice at a music school is like nothing anyone has ever experienced nope (laughs) it's it's a completely different thing yes and if you are not doing what these other people are doing you don't you should just drop out oh totally you can't you can't if, if you can't like if you're not in the practice room trying to get better and better and better there are kids in the practice room all day long. If they're not in class, they're practicing four, six hours yep. a day. Yep. A day. Yep. Just slowing things down, getting things perfect, getting everything right. And I remember how much you would talk about how much you were practicing. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, shit, I'm not practicing nearly that much. Like what and, and I was definitely slacked in that department for a long time. But you know, there's only so much your your natural ability can get you oh yeah yeah there's only because like there's a point where you can over practice you know you can you can do too much oh well well when when practice turns into just like you're not getting anything actually done yeah you know what i mean you have to you have to constantly be stretching the muscles and then you know you're breaking down the muscles and you build them back up yeah you need rest back up you do you need rest your brain needs rest but speaking about the the kids like in practicing in the conservatory environment being different i got a story for you i remember uh where we there were two rooms where we kept all of our bases and there were like you know there were some spots where you could you know strap lean the bases against the wall and there were some bases and cases i mean there were these two big rooms so the bass players we used to practice in these big rooms but that means everybody else would be walking in and out getting their bases mm-hmm. i remember one time i was practicing i was like oh i don't know i i was in like the first session of my two like two hour a day sessions at the time which was like recommended four to six hours a day you know at, at a place like that that's what you're supposed to do so it was my first session, and um, one of the other students walks in. While I was not really practicing, I was just kind of like playing some jazz stuff on my bass. I was just kind of messing around, and he goes, "Why are you doing that?" 
Hmm. And I'm like, what? And he goes, why are you doing, why are you wasting your time? Hmm. And he's got this really like, you know, this British guy. So he's got Smug like, this really, really like snobby, like London accent. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm just, 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 I was like, kind of, kind of thinking, like, why do I have to justify myself to you? Right. And he's like, you know, he's like, you're wasting your time. That, that, that's never going to get you a job. Hmm. And like, he just looked me dead in the eye and said that. And he's like, you should, you shouldn't be practicing that. And then he like, wow. then he walked out. What'd you take from that? He was a dick. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I took from that. Like, like, don't. I'm going to swear, so don't fucking comment on somebody else's practicing. If, you don't, if you don't have anything constructive to say, keep your fucking mouth shut. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, man. That's rude. That is really rude. It is rude. It's like, Dude, this is this is my private right. time. If you're listening and you know who you are, that was a dick move. Yeah. <laughs> I know we're friends, but it was a dick move. Yeah, Hans. <laughs> I bet your name's Hans. Yeah, I bet his name's Hans. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but it's like, but, you know, the, the, like, but people do stuff like that, you yeah. know, in, conser- in, in conservatories. Like, I remember my first interaction with one well, of Well, that's the, a competitive thing oh totally that's just yeah. trying to put you down so he's he's just playing head games yeah and yeah and i remember and this is a, actually a big uh, kind of a big difference between european schools of bass playing and, and the american school of double bass playing is that americans we require solo bach on all of our auditions so you have to play a movement or two from one of Bach's cello suites mm-hmm. Re, you know really difficult they require a lot of practice and the thing is they don't always sound good on the bass because they weren't written for the bass um, but Americans, we like to play it. Mm-hmm. That's that's something that we require. Europeans generally don't have those that requirement on their auditions. So when I walked into this school as an American bass player playing Bach, I remember you know I was talking to one of the guys on my very first day. And, you know, he was asking me what I was playing, what I was working on. And I mentioned I was working on, uh, you know, at the time I was working on one of the movements from the sixth cello suite. And he was, you know, I remember he rolled his eyes and he goes, oh, you Americans, you love your Bach. And he was like, hmm. you know, we, we don't really do that here. And I was like, <laughs> all right, geez. Like, all right. <laughs> like, welcome, you know, welcome, welcome to London, motherfucker. It was like, <laughs> that's how it felt, you know? Um, so I don't, I just don't understand it. It's like, you didn't write it. It was written hundreds of years ago. What do you, why, why do you care? You know, <laughs> it's like, what do you care? But I, I also don't want to make it sound like, um, the uh, like the the people were terrible over there because honestly like the 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 bass players with the exception of like those two interactions that I just named like that those were by far the exception to the rule the other bass okay. players like the other students there were awesome they right. were like uh, there's this one guy Andre Andre if you're listening I love you man Andre was like he he's playing I think he's he's like he's subbed in with the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra uh, he's playing with I can't it's a big long German name the orchestra that he's in now but he was just he's this Romanian guy that was discovered I think by Vladimir Ashkenazi the the famous pianist wow. and uh, he was he was touring and some somehow uh, Andre got to play for Ashkenazi and Ashkenazi I, I think I I hope I'm getting this right I think it's Ashkenazi. Um, uh, decided to fund his education. Wow! Yeah, and paid for all of his education and got in, got him a full scholarship to the school. And this guy was just like he could speak five languages, and he was just the nicest, kindest. Yeah. Like he was like a big teddy bear, just a special person yeah, that people he, wanted to be around. He just loved playing the bass. Yeah, and pretty much everybody was 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 that. 
to some degree. Pretty mm-hmm. much everybody just wanted to play the bass and make music. You mm-hmm. know, that's the great thing about the bass players is that mo- that like we're like we're lucky. We usually got a pretty cool contingent like wherever okay. we are. Um, it was a little different in the violins and the cellos, and uh, I think some some of the winds. Like I think there was a little bit of tension in I think the trumpet players. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of tension? Oh, just like just just competition, competitiveness. Okay. But mostly it, it was mostly with the violinists. Um, I've had some friends that really, uh, you know, really were in uh, kind of in a rough way in that school. I had one friend who's a violin teacher. She she was a Asian American girl, and her uh, well, young woman, not not girl, and her teacher was Chinese, and he would always tell her that you know you're too fat, like you sound too heavy. Your sound is too heavy. You should lose some weight. Wow. Yeah. Like that, like no joke. That's literally what he would tell her. Like you, like basically, you sound like a fat American. Is what he was telling her. Fuck, dude. Yeah, dude, I'm <laughs> telling you, man. It's like there, there were some people who were brutal. Man, there were some people who were who were tough. And I had an experience with my own teacher, Duncan, who was you know for, there for a time he was like one of the great greatest bass players in the world. I was practicing six hours a day, and he looked me dead in the eye and called me lazy. Wow, I will never forget that, and I will never ever do that to another to one of my students. Do you think that's a kind of thing like, you know, like the movie Whiplash? You ever see that movie? You know, I, I've been meaning to see it, but I actually haven't seen it. Well, it's just basically like a teacher. You know, he's a jazz director, and he has his drummer, and it's all he's so hard on these kids, and to. To his credit, it's about getting finding the next Coltrane. It's about finding the next Miles, the people that can really hack it and weeding out the soft from the hard. Yo, yeah, 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 yeah. And there, that's that's part of it, and um, that that's part of the reason why teachers it's more like, like a mental exercise. Yeah, they're basically they're they're trying in a lot of ways. Teachers at these conservatories are trying to toughen you up. Because yeah. because the reality is that there's no there, second place medal in any of this. No, no, there's not. And the reality is that anything you hear from your teachers, um, if you if you read reviews, you're probably going to read worse in reviews. Mm-hmm. You know, if you like, if somebody doesn't like your playing, then right. you know, or if you, if, if you know, if, if somebody's critical of your playing in a, in a review, like that hurts, and that's also worse than what your teacher is going to tell you. How did that you affect? Know? Like, were you were you just pissed off? Did you, you know, what was your reaction to that? My reaction was because I like I took a walk. It was it was uh it was like January I think or Fe- no it was February. It was like dead of winter. So I took a walk. The school was right by Regent's Park, which is one of these big parks in London. Mm-hmm. So I just put my bass away, and you know it was one of those things. Like I I, I was like I was like I was like, close to crying. I was because I was working so hard. Yeah, of course. I was working so so hard on um, this bass concerto, the Bodicini second bass concerto, and I had to play the opening measure, just that one measure, um, for, I want to say, three lessons in a row, just that measure. So this is three hours of lessons on one measure. Wow. And I just couldn't get it right. Hmm. Or at least I couldn't satisfy my teacher. Mm -hmm. So I just went and took a long, cold walk around the park. And I just walked and I cleared just thought head. and cleared my head. And I was just like, I got to be away from everybody, mm-hmm. you know? So I took some time and, you know, I just sat in the, you know, the cold gray London winter and mm-hmm. I, you know, sat there and kind of stewed for a little bit. Um, then I, then I came back and I got back to work Yeah, and I said, I, uh, this is, um, 
that's life. You know, yeah. you got you got to do better. You got to work harder. Yeah, I'm not letting um, this this measure ruin my time. No, no, this isn't this isn't going to defeat me. Right. Um, so you know, I got back to work and I ended up learning it. And you know, I never really fully satisfied my teacher um, because he, he, like that's not their their job is to push you. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> So yeah, I you know I ended up going back and learning the piece, and I ended up playing it for a recital. I ended up going fine, and everything, and uh, you know it was, but it was one of those moments where it's like the um, that was where it went a little too far, right? Like where it wasn't like he's just trying to toughen you up. That was to me that crossed the line into cruelty. That was an attack on on your character. That was an attack on like you as a yeah. Uh, that was an attack on your pursuit of your dream. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And when, excuse me, I don't think any teacher should ever do that. I had an experience like that at Berkeley where, um, oddly enough, he was a bass, he was a bass player, but he was an ensemble teacher. Won't mention his name, but, um, he, you know, you're, you're there to learn. You're there to learn and you're there to, uh, you know, you're obviously, you're going to fail. You're not, you're no one's perfect there, but I was going in and, and we were playing and it, and he just stopped everything and, and kind of like tried to embarrass me in front of the rest of the ensemble. Oh, so dude. we're playing, we're playing a groove and he's doing everything he can. He's playing all the, like, you know, all the off beats. He's trying to fuck me up mm-hmm. in front of everybody else. And I'm like, dude, just tell me what. I should do to fix this. Cause it was a tempo thing. I was having trouble with my tempo and, and I was rushing. I had a tendency to rush, which I, sometimes I still do. And it's something I need to work on. But I just remember being like, man, that what, that didn't feel right. Yeah. Like, when somebody's like, tr- it's like they're gunning for you and it's like, they're trying to take, cut you down a notch. Right. You I, know? I have no problem with a teacher calling me out on something that I'm not doing right and then I need and I need to figure it out because that's something you need to have together. I understand that and I respond well to that. I do not respond well to someone trying to embarrass me. Yeah, it makes me yeah. want to get up and punch them in the face. Oh dude, I know. Oh, and I man. and I came close. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. So it was just like, you know, I, this is not this is not the way that anyone learns. So yeah, yeah, you got my experience. You got to find a you got to find a different way. I mean, if you're if you're a teacher, I mean, like getting to that point where if it's starting to feel abusive, like yeah. don't, you know, maybe yeah. maybe don't go go yeah. down that road, you it's know. Like sometimes I don't feel good about, you know, you're like a little embarrassed or if you're not prepared for your lesson or whatever, you're going to go kind of with your head down a bit yeah, and, and try you kind to of deserve it, you know, and you definitely you deserve, do deserve it. it. You for absolutely not deserve showing it. up, not practiced. Or if your teacher right. gave you an assignment and you didn't do, it's like any other class you show up and not having done your homework, like exactly. you don't deserve a banana sticker. You know? Exactly. <laughs> so you totally deserve it in that scenario. But like, if you're playing and you just don't have this, this thing, like, and and you're gonna like literally take me through the, the motions of like playing, and you're trying to mess with me, and it's just like trying to embarrass me. That's not right. But. Oh yeah, dude. We had um. So I remember I had a, a master class with the uh, this guy. Uh, I don't know if I should say his name. Um, I mean, it was, it was I learned a lot. Um, but he was the principal bass of the Royal Concertgebouw Orchestra at the time, and he, this guy was. Just, I mean, he's just a monster player, yeah. absolute monster, and he was also a boxer. Really? Yeah, he was he was a tough dude. Um and it's funny it's like an his, interesting combination. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and but like the thing is he he 
talked shit like a boxer. Okay. You know, like he talked a lot of smack, you know, and like he had a swag. And it's funny if you saw his hands, like his knuckles were all flat from like, yeah. you know, from punching. From punching people in the face. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, he, he had that swagger where A, he is a top tier orchestral musician, so he's one of the best musicians in the world. And B, he could take anybody in the room. Right. So this dude was just like a yeah. baller on all levels. Yeah. But we had... Um, it, it, he was notorious for messing with people mm. and on our, uh, we had a mock audition for him and he made it a point to mess with each one of us in some way. Like, so what he would have us do is he would, he would give us the list of excerpts and it was, it was you know, pretty specific, but it was a little, it was a little vague. And what he would do is he would ask us to play the excerpt. Then he would say, okay, go on. What, 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 what do you mean? Like, no, the, 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 there's the whole rest of the symphony. You have to play the rest of it. And he's like, but you didn't tell me to prepare that. And he's like, oh, you didn't. You don't know the symphony. What? You you yeah. don't know it by heart. Mm-hmm. Get out. <laughs> you know. I remember I was playing the because um, he told us to prepare and a really specific excerpt from Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. There's this big recitative where it's like the basses and cellos have this big long solo. And then after that, it goes into the Ode to Joy theme, the mm-hmm. famous da 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 that that. And um, he had us. He told us only to prepare the recitative, not the Ode to Joy. Yeah. So I play, and I play like I, I nailed the recitative. Like I just just absolutely shredded it. Then he goes, "Okay, go on." <laughs> I'm like, "What?" He goes, "It yeah. keeps going." I was like, "Oh, oh!" And then I, I started on the wrong note, and he goes you don't know this. I said, yeah, no, I said, no, I, I know this. He goes, obviously you don't, you played on the wrong note. Yeah. He goes, you know, you, you started on the wrong note. You don't know this. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's, it was, but his, his thing was just like, you know, that, that was like weeding out. Cause at least we knew he was going to do that. You know? Well, it sets, it sets, sets an expectation that you need to go above and beyond and learn and like, yeah, you should have had the Ode to Joy together. Yeah, or, or, I should I should have expected it, or I should have at least been able to go on without question. You right. know, I should have been able to to go on and not have it throw me for a loop. You right, know, that was the lesson there. Right, because and because after the after, a great lesson to learn. Yeah, yeah, and after uh, and everybody had to audition and you know had to have this mock audition for him. But afterwards, he gave us all feedback. Um, and you know he he was pretty blunt with his feedback. You know, if if you play it out of tune, he said, yeah, you know, uh, you you were out of tune. You you can't do that in an audition. You can't play out of tune. Right. Uh, you. I remember he told one one young woman. He said, "You sound like a girl." He said, "Yeah, I know, Whoa. right?" But he goes, "I." It, it, the way he put it was like, "I don't want to be able to tell that it's a man or a woman playing the bass. I right. just want to hear a bassist." Right. You know. And yeah. I was like, "You, you want to hear the music?" Right. Exactly. And it's like, okay, a little sexist, but it's like, I, I see where you're coming from. You don't want to. You want it. You want everything to be there, and you don't yeah. want it to sound well because you too need individual. you need to be able to have the full range of uh what's the right way to say this full range of expression i guess so yep yeah like you don't you don't want things and not that not that like a woman playing i feel like what he was getting at is it sounds it sounds fragile to me yeah that's i mean that's ultimately what he meant but right. it, because it was a woman but, he but said, a man you sound like a girl yeah but a man could also sound like that too so yeah, it's like but it, it was he would have used it he, he would have he probably would have used a different word if it was a man yeah you know he probably yeah. would have said oh that's you know you didn't make enough sound or you you sounded a little weak right but in, instead he chose to pick on this girl for you know for her gender which is like dude it's messed up yeah but again, I, I like I, the point. I know the point he was getting at is just like maybe you could illustrate that a different way. I don't know. Right. But yeah, it's a you know it's a really interesting place to be these conservatories because it's um, it's a really high pressure environment and um, 
Yeah, you know, there's there's just a there's just a lot of changing that you have to do, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of work that you have to do while you're there, and then you get out. It's all different. <laughs> it's, it's all like, different. Everything you learned is like now you're doing like totally different stuff. You know, so yeah. it's like how uh, many um, did you audition for symphonies after after you got out of college? Like, what was your path and kind of journey after that? Yeah. So I got home and uh, I was like, yeah, I would love to still practice six, seven hours a day. Um, but. I kind of need money. Yeah. I kind of need a job. So uh, I didn't really have a ton of gigs lined up because I came back home and I was away for two years. And, you know, the only people that knew that I was around were people that I was playing with before. So it was like community orchestras and stuff like that. So they were, you know, they wanted me to come play with them. And I like, I can't like, I kind of didn't want to do the community orchestra thing. Right. Um, So I come back and I actually started working at seven stars bakery. And you know, best place ever. Yeah, dude, I loved that job. Mm. I loved it. I, yeah. I got back. It was like no responsibility at all. I was just like brewing coffee and handing people muffins. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> like people would walk in like all grumpy, and then you give them coffee, and they're smiling. Like, like yes. Oh, dude, it's it's like it, I I loved that job, and also the uh, I I really liked working for that company because they treated their employees well. Or at least I thought they treated their employees well, and um, we got tons, of, dude. I got so addicted to coffee. <laughs> I, um, it's, it's funny. I guess like we were, it was, it's really good coffee there and we could get it for free. Yeah. So I was drinking like way too much coffee, probably yeah. eight to 10 cups a day. It was crazy. Eight to 10 cups of coffee a day. Probably because I would drink big iced coffees and I would drink like, you know, sometimes three or four of those and a big, a big large iced coffee is you know really two or three cups of coffee God. in that man yeah that's so, a lot of coffee oh yeah <laughs> so i was like as a sweaty jittery mess <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> what would you like on your bagel give me my sweat rag <laughs> mop me up scotty <laughs> it's disgusting you know um but no that so i i get back from school and i have to uh you know i, I, I need money so i work at seven stars and you know there aren't the thing is there aren't really that many auditions that happen Mm -hmm. so i have an audition for my first one was uh the new bedford symphony orchestra so Mm -hmm. i auditioned for them it was for yeah it was for their principal bass position uh and this was like five years ago now and i got to the final round and it was me and this one other guy and i was the runner-up so they gave they gave the position to this other guy and i was uh, you know, high up on the sub list. Basically, they called me whenever they had a concert. Right. Um, and having been high up on the sub list, if the principal couldn't make it, they had me sit guest principal with them. So mm-hmm. I've been sort of, for a while, I sat like, you know, guest principal base, uh, you know, assistant principal base, and uh, then their actual assistant principal base, he left, and then I kind of filled in for him for a while. Um, so now I've got kind of like a long-term sub contract with them. Hmm. Um, and I've done some other auditions for some other local orchestras that have gotten me pretty close, you know, but auditioning, and this is the thing that sucks for me being a classical musician is I'm a bad auditioner. Mm-hmm. I'm really bad at auditioning because it's just so unnatural. Like yeah. you have to play this tiny little fragment of a whole piece in dead silence behind a curtain and you have to play it perfectly. That's the most interesting thing that, you know, cause we were talking about this before you you're literally like in a room quiet dark room probably <laughs> yeah 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 and you're by there's no one but you and it's like does someone tell you 
okay, go ahead, or, or something like that? Yes, it, a lot of the time it's, it's different at every audition. So sometimes the, um, so screened auditions, for, for anybody who's listening, uh, screened auditions are a thing in the classical world when you have to sit down with your instrument and the audition panel, there's usually three or four people that are listening to you, they're behind a curtain. Uh, the reason why is because they want to only be using their ears. Yeah. Um, so what they're trying to avoid is any appearance of uh discrimination so do you have like a number or something yeah i like so you'll be like number 11 okay or something and so what happens is somebody you know you (laughs) so this is man it's it's kind of interesting so i just took one of these auditions last night um so last night and this is not uncommon all of the bass players are in one big room Hmm. all warming up together so you're Mm -hmm. listening to everybody else play yeah and either people are psyching themselves out or they're psyching you out or everybody's everybody's just playing and practicing and you know even though you're you're not i mean you're you're listening everybody's listening and you know right. they're listening to you so everybody's warming up and everybody's tuning and going through their excerpts and you know it's like you think like oh that guy sounds great oh man i'm screwed you know or like oh well that, why is he here like that doesn't sound very good yeah you know and it's like you have these you know you, you just you know you just hear what you hear so then uh they say that there's somebody in the room with you there's like a, a proctor in the room with you he gets you and says all right you know it's it's, it's your turn let's go up they walk you into the room and then usually there's a second person that's sitting with you and in last night's, in the case of last night's audition, they said, okay, there are th- four excerpts we're going to play in the first round. And usually what you'll do is when you sit down, the panel will ask you for one of those four excerpts. Last night, they didn't. So I just sat down and then it was just silence. Mm. And I'm just like looking at the person behind me and she was like, oh, anytime you're ready. I'm like, and the thing is, like, I wish someone would have said something. And the thing is in a screened audition, you cannot make any noise that alludes to your gender. So okay. I couldn't speak. Yeah. So I couldn't say, oh, okay, thank you. Yeah. I couldn't be like, oh, you know, are we starting right now? Or just what like, are we starting with? I couldn't give a that. nod. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you have to sit down and like, you kind of have to look and point with the bow at like the page. And she's like, oh yeah, anytime, anytime you can play. Scary. So, so you sit down and it's just dead silence and you have to play this little tiny chunk. Absolutely. Perfectly. <sighs> and it's like, in it's usually very demanding. And even if you've been warming up, you know, you feel a little cold because mm-hmm. you sit down and, you know, you got to, pl- you, you don't get to play a few notes before you play the excerpt. You have to play right away. Right. Um, so, of course, last night I sit down and there's this famous uh, trio from Beethoven's Fifth Symphony that's like this massive excerpt. All like classical bassists know this excerpt. And um, I've played it uh, hundreds, thousands of times I've played this excerpt. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the ones I know off the top of my head, like back of my hand, upside down, backwards, left, right. Right. Of course, I get into the audition. All of the other stuff that I was concerned with about like practicing and, oh, I can't screw this up. I played that pretty well. The one thing that I was like, I know this really well, screwed it up. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it was just in that, you know, that that happens. That's that's one of those weird things that why auditions feel so unnatural because you, you know, you're not really making music on auditions. You're just, you know, you're you're trying to play perfectly. You know, but that's not quite possible, at least not for me. And that's why it's like it's I'm such a bad auditioner. Mm-hmm. But what I prefer to do 
is like i mean auditions are something that you have to take as a musician you get it's, you, it's just part of you know doing the classical thing yeah but what i like to do is recitals and solo work and teaching mm-hmm. you know so that's that's kind of what i'm putting most of my work into like last march i did that um i mentioned earlier that i did a concerto with an orchestra and uh, you know i was doing a whole bunch of practice for that that for me was a lot of fun because you can you know it's a lot of pressure because you know you're the soloist whatever but you can really create Right. You know, you pick the piece of music that you want to play. Mm -hmm. And, you know, luckily I found a piece of music that I was really, really psyched about, really excited to play a really like obscure bass concerto that I was like, oh, nobody knows this. Cool. Like, you know, the hipster in me was coming out. So (laughs) (laughs) I knew this before it was cool. And um, so I got to pick a piece that I was really passionate about and I got to practice it my way and I got to do everything kind of the way I wanted. That's awesome. Yeah. And that felt really rewarding. That was great. So if you're doing solo stuff is that kind of the only outlet towards that like what other kind of things would you do um as a bassist there's not a ton uh, because it's not like it's not like there's a ton of bass concertos and it's not like when orchestras are looking to hire soloists they're going to be looking for bassists most orchestras because there's so many of them they're going to be looking for violinists and pianists and maybe cellists and maybe like a you know trumpet players or something anything like where there's kind of a lot of them around because you know you'll be able to find them um, and also there's a lot of good music like Beethoven wrote violin concertos. He did not write any bass concertos. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. So like the good music is, is most of the time it's for the upper instruments. Right. Um, but what you can do, the, the other half of that coin is that you can do anything you want. Mm-hmm. Like you can set up your own personal recital, play all the music you want. You can pick any composer you want and play whatever music you with any accompanist that you want. That's the great thing about freelancing now is yeah. that I can hire you know, whatever pianist I want to work with, one of my friends or somebody that I just want to experiment with, or I can play music that nobody's ever heard before in music that I just want to nerd out on. You know, would you, um, so I guess for like, um, just more work opportunity stuff, would you play or have you done like wedding stuff where you would have like a, you know, classical quartet or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So the um, the, so I bassists. So, <laughs> so the string quartet probably not the most the string quartet. Yeah, it's probably not like the most glamorous thing in the world. But honestly, like, I can imagine that you can get creative with the pieces, other than you know walking down the <laughs> right, aisle and right, stuff right. like that. But well, the the thing with with bass and uh, playing in a wedding is that the string quartet doesn't include upright bass. So it's violin, violin, right. viola, and viola, cello. Yeah, cello. So there's no, so I, I'm not, you know, I won't play in any string chords. I mean, I've played in string ensembles at weddings could, and everything. But you could create one. You could create your own kind of thing. Yeah, but I mean, as far as weddings go, like I play in bands. So it's like, true. <laughs> I play with, with Nikki Luparelli. I play with her and we do some weddings with her. And uh, honestly, I, I love playing weddings. Mm-hmm. Like the joy, the happiness. That, everyone's so happy. Yeah, everybody's happy. Everybody's dancing. Everybody's everybody's drinking. It's like you're playing their favorite songs. Mm-hmm. Like it's the best. It's one of the best gigs. Right. You know, there's so much to be happy about when you're playing. Really, I mean, and it, this is so cheesy, I know, but there's so much to be happy about playing any kind of music, you know, especially if you're getting paid for it. Right. Like, you know, if you if you can make a living playing and working with music, it's just like, for me, there's nothing better because that's uh, that's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. Yeah. Is music, you know? Man, I think that's a pretty good spot to end it right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Great. Well, before we go, give me some give me some words backwards. Uh, refrigerator. Refrigerator fear. <laughs> West Elm. Let's go. Uh, bass. Sabe. 
Uh, what else we got? <laughs> a- a- apartment. Tanim Trapa. All right. Well, I'm expecting all of you to go and fact check those. <laughs> and uh, Joe, thanks, man. Dude, I thanks so much for having me. Appreciate this is, this you being my first interview in this apartment. And I appreciate you being a great friend for so long. Likewise, Jesse. Same here. Say when 